Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. You know, I, I really feel that as, even as we are moving into a season where we are believing God for souls, we are seeing things happening that we, are, we want to see God move in our nation, making the church as a prototype. You know, we have to also bring ourselves to an alignment to scriptures uh, in terms of what kind of church God has ordained His house to be. And before, I mean, even before we go into a time of literally, you know, seeing an increase of souls coming to the kingdom, we need to begin to build our net and, and begin to lay framework and structure in this church and, uh, and to basically establish His heart and His, and his will in this house so that when, when people come in, they will actually experience and encounter the heart of God. More than just a good idea of men of trying to win them into a religion, but they actually will encounter and know the heart of God through you and ourselves. It's more than just telling them about, about a story and, and then bring them to church and just fill this place with more people, but we want them to be transformed. We want them to, be, to encounter the heart of Jesus so that they can step into their call and their destiny. And one of the, way, one of the things that the Lord basically said in all across His Scripture that about His house, that His house has to be a house of prayer. More than just a house of, uh, uh, of evangelism, more than just a house of an, an apostle, more than just a house of the prophetic and stuff like that. But there's something about God calling His house a house of prayer. Why? Because prayer is the very thing that connects us with the heart of God. And I, just, and I know that even in the city, we are actually going towards a certain direction where we, we are doing alpha in evangelism, but we are also establishing prayer. Right? Pastor Daniel has, talk, has spoken to the church that we are actually going to start prayer ministries that's going to be led by my wife, that she's going to gather people for prayer, that we will basically put furnaces, we will put fire on the altar in this house to saturate this place with the presence of God and allowing His heart to be manifest to His people. And Isaiah 56, if you can turn with me, if you, can, if you are there, can you just read with me from verse 6 to verse 7? I'm not making this up, but God called his house a house of prayer, not anything else. All right, so let's read from verse 6. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to his servant, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and, do, and does not profane it, and hold fast to my covenant, and these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offering and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called what? The house of prayer for? All nations, all people, all ethnicity, God actually ordained His house to be a place, a canopy, a canopy of His presence where we can engage the heart of God for, his, for the people that He loves. You see, we can be doing a lot of things, activities and all. It's great. All these are vehicles for us to engage people. But I think the reason why God is raising up His church to engage people is so that the church can rightly represent Him and to manifest His heart and His love to a world that has yet to know Him. And I think we are going in a very prophetic and a right direction that we are basically establishing both evangelism and prayer. Because these two things come hand in hand together. Without, evangel- without prayer, evangelism has no fire. Without evangelism, 
prayer is kind of like pointless. No, I'm not. I mean, prayer is I mean, without evangelism, we are missing the we are missing the will of God being fulfilled on the earth. Because God has a purpose and a will for the nations, and evangelism is part of the vehicle to bring them in. And it has to be filled with both prayer and evangelism. It has to be both. God has been bringing us through, bring me personally through a season where. Where I used to just do house of prayer, you know, we just stay in this room and just keep praying. But somehow the more I pray, the more I pray the scriptures and his will with what is in his heart, I realize that my heart gets tenderized to what's in his heart, not just for myself, but for people. And I just want to say that as I, as, I mean, as I travel a little, a few different places, you know, somehow there's an emphasis on the call to prayer in this hour globally. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a, a, a fad that God is like a new uh, a church strategy that we can, a new church model. But the truth of the matter is God is really establishing his house right now all across the earth because he said it. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And God is literally doing it all across the earth. And there's a call to prayer globally in, his body of, in the body of Christ. And, I, and, and in this whole call of to prayer, I believe there's this three emphasis that is, that, that is, that is part of that, this call to prayer. And I'm going to give you these three emphasis so that, I can, so that we, as we begin to go into the direction of praying as a church, that this will be the three main focus and pillar that we will focus in. That even as we create an environment of prayer, these are the three emphasis that God is doing in the heart of the people because He's ready to come back. The first emphasis that I believe God is, the reason why God is raising up prayer movement together with missions is because God first and foremost won and desired to awaken her church, his church, with the great commandment in the first place again. He wants to reinstate the first and the greatest commandment back to the church again. You see, our entire Christianity, our faith, the foundation of our faith is rooted in this one thing. In fact, God said that His law, all of His law, the 613 laws in the Old Testament, hang these two great commandments. Love your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the two big law that hangs the rest of the laws that is being written in the Old Testament, and God wants to put this back in the first place in the church again. You see, we are living in a time where most of us, we come to church, we just come into a place where we just do our stuff. We pay our time, we do our services, we serve in church. But most of the time, we thought that that in itself alone is enough because it's an act of our love. But somehow, I think God, in His wisdom, He looked deeper and beyond than our action and our service. He wants to get our hearts. He wants to write these two laws on the, not just on a tablet of stones that we just put on our, our, our mission statement and our vision statement and just put it on paper on our website. This is why we are here. We are here to make God known and we are here to know God and love Him. It's on paper. But what God is committed to do and He wants to write these two laws into your heart. Because when Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I want to suggest to you it's more than just a great commandment. It's a declaration that He's going to have a people that will love Him this way. Because He said, you shall. And everywhere that comes from the mouth of God shall not return unto Him void. 
And when Jesus began to declare that as the, this is the first and the greatest commandment, because he knew before time there's going to come a day where there'll be a church, a people, a bride that will love Jesus, will love him the same way he loved us. He knew that we cannot love him the way he loved us, so he demonstrated it as, as a man on that cross. He gave it all. He loved us with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength by putting himself on that cross, bleeding, dying, naked, humiliated for your sins and my sins, and he demonstrated love. Romans says that God demonstrated his love on that cross. So when we look that into that, that image of Christ crucified, will compel us to respond back to Him the same way He loved us. There's only respond, there's only one way that we can love Jesus. It's the way He loved us. He, the only way that we can love Him rightly is when we love Him the same way He loved us. Not half-hearted, not partial love, not like, a, oh, I love you 99.9%. No, He wants 100%. He wants all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I cannot say to Constance Cons, I love you 99%. Okay, we get married, we make covenant. I, 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 I make covenant with you in front of everybody. And I'll say in my vows, uh, J- uh, Jason, Constance, I will love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe Sundays, 8 p.m. to 12 midnight. I will do anything else. I'll do anything I want. Do you think that she will make that covenant? Is, is, do you think this is the, that she will accept that covenant that I make with her? Of course not. So when Jesus demonstrated his love for the church, the ex, I, if I could say his love demands the same kind of love from us. But he's not going to make, he's not going to, uh, he's not going to make us try to work hard to work in that love because Christ has actually demonstrated that love by his spirit. He gave us his Holy Spirit. Now we can love him the way he loved us. Why? Because the same spirit that's in Jesus is right now in you and it takes God to love God. You can never love God with your own human strength, but God can help you to love Jesus. The only person that can love Jesus completely is the Father. And, the Father, and in John chapter 17, it says this, Jesus prayed, the Father, that He prayed to the Father, the Father, the love that you have for me, will you put it inside of them so that they can love me the same way you love, they, so they can love me the same way you love me. So it takes God to love God. And God is committed to, to present to Jesus a church and a bride that is fully in love wholehearted that the, the first commandment will be established in their hearts because Jesus is not going to come back for a bride that's half-hearted, but he's coming back for a church and a bride that will love him the same way he loved us. Which means that if he died for us, we'll be willing to lay down our lives to die for him. That is the standard of love. And our Christian faith, the foundation of our faith, is all rooted in love and intimacy. In, in Ephesians chapter, chapter 3, verse 16 to 19, it says that according to the riches of God's glory, that you be strengthened with power through His mind, through His, inner, through his Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints. Why is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses our understanding, which means that 
The Holy Spirit is going to give you this ability and power and strength to comprehend the incomprehensible love. That you'll be so overwhelmed again and again for all eternity. And in that, in that reality, you are going to be filled with the fullness of God. That means you are going to have all of God inside of you. As you give all of your heart, you are going to receive all of Him in you. And God is committed to raise up a church like that. Why? Because the fruit of intimacy is Christ-likeness. And one of the things that God is committed to do with His church is that Christ will be manifested on the earth through the way we live. And we can never fully live like Christ until we have that measure of intimacy where our obsession, our frame of mind, our desire and our longing is this. I want everything that is in God and I'll give everything and anything to have Him. Like David, his, his obsession is that one thing that, have, that he has desired is to dwell in the house, to behold beauty. And the more with unveiled faces, according to Paul, with unveiled faces, you begin to behold the glory of God, you actually get transformed into different degrees of glory and you become more and more like Christ. And so when the church is in that place where it's fully in love with Jesus, you actually manifest Christ on the earth by the way you live. And this is what the world is waiting for. The reason why we get so many bombardment, you know, people begin to be sarcastic, says church, Christianity, you know, Christians are the most hypocritical people. Sometimes I, I'm, I'll admit, yes, it's true, we are work in progress. But perhaps one of the things that we, that, that we need to re-emphasize again in the church is to reinstate the first commandment again. That constantly we will say, God, will you write these two laws upon our hearts? Not just on paper, mission statement, or website. But literally in our heart that we may live in and through. And you know what? Intimacy has a fruit. It's Christ-likeness. So so you will know who truly have intimacy. Just watch how they live. Because if you see the way they live, you will know that this person has a history with God. And I believe God is inviting all of us here to have a history with Him. Because why? Prayer and intercession is an invitation to the heart of God. That the more we encounter His heart, the more we get transformed and we carry it in our hearts. That when we walk out from the place of prayer, in an environment of prayer rooms, we actually become more like Him. That's the first emphasis that I believe God is doing. He is reinstating first commandment. The great, uh, first and the greatest commandment in the church again. Second thing, I believe God is doing through the call to prayer is this. He's preparing the earth for the establishment of His government permanently. What do I mean by that? Okay, before I go into that, that route, I just want to say, you know, the witness of Jesus and His kingdom, we know that Jesus gave an assignment to His disciples, right? He says, you shall have power to be a witness to the ends of the earth. The witness, sometimes we have just one paradigm of witnessing to Jesus. is go around sharing the gospel. Yeah, correct? That's witnessing to Jesus. I want you to know witnessing to, of the witness of Jesus and his kingdom has two elements through the scriptures. One is the proclamation of the gospel. In Mark chapter 16, it says that you, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up the serpent and with their hands and they will drink daily poison and won't die. 
So the proclamation of the, king, of, of the gospel with the demonstration of the kingdom, that's one way to bear witness of the reality that Christ is alive and his kingdom is real. And the second witness of Christ on the earth that is prophesied throughout the prophets, prophesied throughout the scripture is this, nation singing. That, every, that, that nations will have incense of worship and prayer permeating the earth. Malachi 1.11, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, to the set, to a setting, that his name will be great in the nations. That in every place, incense will be offered to his name and that it will be a sign to the nation that he's great. It's a witness of God. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14, it says that the glory of the knowledge of God is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And it talks about the incense, on, the incense of God filling the earth, the prayers and the worship of the saints. So what has it to, what has, has, what has it to be related to uh, the government of God? If you begin to look into Revelation chapter 5, John the Apostle was taken up into heaven. And as he was taken up into heaven, he actually had a witness of Jesus. And the witness that he has, he went into this place called the throne room. When you think about throne room, what do you think of? A palace? A king's court? And what does a king do? He governs. And when, when John was taken up to heaven, he actually witnessed the government of God in heaven. And what is happening in heaven? If you were to read in Revelation chapter 5, I don't, have, I don't think I have the... I mean, we can, we can go. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5. Let's go to heaven. Let's go to heaven right now. And I want you to know when Revelation chapter 4, it says that there's this door standing open in heaven. I believe with all of my heart that door has not been shut. Which means that it's accessible for anyone. That you can actually go into that realm and encounter the realm that God lives in. Whatever John saw is actually made available for you to experience and to encounter. Revelation chapter 5, in verse 6, this is what is happening right now in heaven. Even as I'm talking, even as I'm speaking, when the church begins to gather in a place of prayer, whatever they've been doing just now for the past one, and one hour of singing, we are actually aligning and gathering with heaven doing the same thing, but this is, what is, this is exactly what is happening right now in heaven. It says in verse 6, And between the throne there were four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though he has been slain. Which means that it's talking about Christ, the slain lamb, and now he's alive. He's not lying dead flat on the floor. It's a lamb that was slain standing, which means he's alive. John saw Christ, the resurrected Christ, who is alive right now in heaven. And he saw, and, 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 and with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out all the earth. And when he looked, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on, on the throne. And when he has taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a bow, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It's your prayers. Which... And they begin to sing a new song as the prayers of the saints fill that bone. And it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. And you have made them, what? 
a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. John went to heaven. He saw the government of heaven. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, asking the Father for the nations to be his inheritance, as in Psalms 2. And he's raised basically in the midst of his enemy. He's ruling and reigning. Even as darkness covers the earth, Jesus is seated on high with the Father in full confidence and authority, asking the Father for inheritances and asking the Father for his possession on the earth. He says, Father, I want my people. I want the people that I paid for from every nation, tribe, and tongue. You know what, God? I'm not just going to do it on my own. I'm going to get my people on the earth who are called by my name that they will be a kingdom of priests, that they will, re- they will reflect what is in heaven and they will reign from that place. Do you know that whatever that we are doing right here, singing songs, worshipping Him, we are actually releasing government. Whatever that we sing about, those are not just songs, they are prayers. Be enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations. You are worthy, Lord of all. The only difference is, be enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations. It's a corporate prayer in singing. And when we begin to declare that, which is a scripture, into the atmosphere, guess what? The word of God is what? The authority. And when you begin to declare authority into the atmosphere, what happened? Principalities' powers have to bend and bow. You actually displace and lose the stronghold of darkness on the earth, and you're actually allowing God to release His purpose and His will in and to your life. And so as we are basically built an altar of prayer, it's actually establishing the government of heaven. In fact, prior to Jesus' return, he prophesied through his prophet Isaiah, it says all across the earth in the midst of darkness, God is going to raise up singing in the nation. Isaiah 24, Isaiah 42, if you have time, go back and read some of these scriptures. God actually prophesied the day before he returned, the nation is going to sing of his great name that the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the knowledge of God in the midst of darkness and persecution. There will be songs in the night that will break through the light. The, the light will break through the night and there is going to be courage and power being released through the press of the saints. That's the second emphasis. First one was God is reinstating the first commandment in the church. Second one, God is basically preparing the earth for His government, permanent one, beyond the earth, because he's going to come back with his heaven. God himself, Jesus, is going to come back on the earth to rule like in, a light, in, a, in the same way that he rules in heaven, he's going to rule on the earth. The third thing, the emphasis is this. The call to prayer, one of the emphasis right now all across the earth, that God is actually birth, birthing the final trust of missions that will bring back the return of Jesus. Okay. I just want to make this statement very clear. I just want to make this statement to you. You know, I'm not, I'm just, I just want to let you know uh, that the goal of missions is really more than just evangelism and bring people to church. The goal of missions is not bring people to church or to just, full, just evangelize. That is part of our mission. But the ultimate goal of missions is the second coming of Jesus. Why? 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus said, The gospel of this kingdom shall go to the ends of the earth as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. You have to understand the goal of missions is to bring back the king. You see, Christ died on the cross. He paid the price. He given us power to be his witness. But you know what? There is still death. There is still sin. There is still darkness, corruption. And we can manifest the kingdom on the earth partially through the life of intimacy that we have with Christ. But the fullness of it will only come when a man returns with his kingdom. That Jesus, the only man who ever existed, who is not just a man, but God and fully God, and he in, in Him, there's no corruption. In Him, there's no darkness. He has perfect wisdom. He has perfect power. He's the only man who can be a king that will rule without corruption. And He is going to come back as God Himself prophesied that I'm going to set my king on Zion. Someone is going to sit on the throne of David, whom God himself promised David that his throne will be seated by his son. It's called the son of David. His name is Jesus. There's going to be a real man who split the sky. Like the way he went up, he's going to come back. He was going to come back with his kingdom. And before he left, he gave the assignment to his disciples. I want you to go to the ends of the earth to be my witnesses. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. He's going to, he's going to accompany you with signs, wonders, and miracles to, to basically demonstrate to you that it's a real kingdom in heaven right now that's soon to come. Not only that, there's a real king who is alive. That as you preach in my name, as you begin to pray in my name, that manifestation of his kingdom is going to be revealed on the earth so that people will know that Jesus is truly alive and his kingdom is coming again. He's going to restore everything that was lost in the garden in its fullness at the end of the age is found in Revelation chapter 22. So if I would just put it, and, and what God is doing today on the earth with prayer, he's incubating into the place of intimacy, birthing his heart and his desire for the nations so that his people will be raised in this hour to go to a place, to go to places where no one dares to go. You see, we are living in a time and an hour that there's a possibility where Christ can come back. Because through the scriptures, there's two main components prophesied by the prophets and Christ himself that there's two things must be fulfilled before he returns. First thing is this, the testimony of Christ in every nation, trap and tongue. That every nation trying to will hear of his name and know of what he has done. Second thing is this, Israel. Israel will embrace the Messiah. Because he said in his word, Israel, I will not come back until you begin to embrace me and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and then I will come and dine with you again. And Jesus promise that his covenant with Israel is irrevocable. You see, I know there's a theology, there's the theology that's out there that has been permeating the church worldwide. It's called the replacement theology. Can I be very honest with you? That theology is not of God. Because God says in Romans chapter 11 that He promised Paul that the call of God in Israel life is irrevocable. 
we always mix that, we always take that scripture and use it on ourselves, right? Oh, the call of God you know, in our life is irrevocable because whatever God calls, you know, it cannot be. But the context of the scripture when Paul wrote the letter to Rome, the Roman church, the church of Rome, is talking about the, the identity and the promise and the call in Israel. What happened in 7080? Everything was gone because destruction of the temple come, people scattered. Thousands of years later, miracle happened. God regathered his people in 1948 and reinstated them as a state. Right now, whatever that we read in the Bible about Israel becomes alive again. But for thousands of years, it was like no context. Why? Because there's no such thing as Israel. And so what happened? When they have no understanding, they begin to create a theology called replacement. They replace Israel with the church. But the truth of the matter is this. God's heart and His covenant that He made with the people of Isaac stands. And the whole thing about the Great Commission is this. God is birthing missions in this last trust of the end of the age, the possibility of bringing the return of Jesus with these two signs being made available on the earth today, God is actually preparing the church to go to places where no one dares to go. And He's actually orchestrating again, not just an upper room in Jerusalem, but He's actually preparing a global upper room that will release a global outpouring that will trust forth the largest and the most powerful mission force that will go into the hardest and darkest places where people will have the courage and bonus to lay their lives down for them. Who dares to go to the Syria right now with the gospel? Who? No one, right? Because we know the threat. But what if when you pray, as in the days of, the, of Acts, as they were fearful with the threat of persecution, they gather in the prayer room and they begin to pray. And the, Baptist, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. All of a sudden, boldness infused the church and they continue to preach Jesus even though they, even though they, they threatened them. If you preach that name, I'm going to kill you. And God has actually prepared today, mobilizing His church to create an environment called the global upper room for him to pour out his spirit to give strength and power to the church to go for the final trust of missions to places where no one dares to go we call it closed door nation the truth of the matter is this the door is open it's only whether you can come out or not (laughs) I'm thinking to myself what would an apostle Paul do if he lived in this age But anyone here wants to go? I know we are not ready. But you know what? That's the reason why God is calling His church back to prayer. He wants to re-infuse bonus and courage by an infilling of His Spirit again and again until our love is fully formed for Him that there will be a cry in our heart that will say, May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of His suffering. That even if I have to go to the ends of the earth to lay my life down, He is worthy of my life. We're talking about Alpha today. Alpha is a good platform. You won't lose your life. Just go and get a friend. Bring a friend in. You won't lose your life. But it starts here. You, as you begin to cultivate that courage to invite someone, to have to cultivate a love and a compassion for them, to, in a place of prayer, carry the heart of Jesus for those who do not know Christ. So it starts here. 
I believe it is a process from glory to glory and it starts here. But you know what? The more you do it, I tell the more bonus encouragement come upon you. The more you pray and the more you reach, the more you pray, the more you preach, the more bonus will come. And eventually you never know. God will just suddenly come. Isaac, go to Afghanistan. And he said, yes, God, I will. Why? Because it has been cultivated. And that is why I believe in this hour that we are living in, we need, to cult- we need to build the house of prayer. We need to create the environment of prayer again because whatever is happening in the world right now, I tell you, human effort and strategy can never accomplish his task. We need the fullness and the baptism and empowerment of the Spirit and that can only come through prayer. God has to birth his desire inside of you. I realize this. I can never fully sustain a zeal. I cannot do some, I cannot fulfill the call of God based on my own human zeal. Why? Because my love is limited. But when God begins to infuse His love in me, when He begins to put His desire into my heart, I begin to burn with someone else's desire and that desire never fades. And God wants to do that in His people. He wants to birth missions through prayer in and through you. You can be in the marketplace, you can be in school, you can be in a mission field, but you know what? Everything starts in a place of intimacy, releasing His government and allowing the Holy Spirit to incubate the dream of Jesus. You have to understand His name is called the desires of the nation. And when His desire is embedded into your heart, you can't help but to go. This is what Isaiah saw. Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the beauty and the glory of God. And when he heard that conversation, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? He could not resist because he has seen something too awesome that he says, he must be preached. He must be made known. Even if I go to places where they'll reject him, I will still go because he's worthy. So I want to just set this for you, Cons is going to start a prayer, a prayer, prayer meeting. Is it a prayer meeting? I want to encourage the church. If you really have a passion and desire to see transformation in the city, to see souls getting saved, can I encourage you, start with the place of prayer. Build God, build the house of prayer in this church as put fire on the altar and allow God to come in with his glory and his desire and allow him to infuse his passion and his zeal, his compassion for the loss into you. And we, the church, has to respond to the heart of God because God is going to give them a purpose and a plan to be a part of the story that he's writing in the nations. And I want to invite you to be part of that story, to bring back the return of Jesus. But let's start from here, let's build God a house of prayer for all people, for all nations, until we become more like Him, that when we walk out from this church, not just on Sunday, but daily, that we will fully, will rightly represent Him because we love Him. Amen.